Hey, glad you're here today. We're starting a new series, four-week series called Deep and Wide. Some of you remember the song when you were a kid, Sunday School Deep and Wide, with the hand motions and all that. This series has nothing to do with that song. Uh, but that's a great song. That's a great song. This series is about... Uh, my hope is that over these next four weeks, you'll get a sense of where we have been as a church and where we are going as a church. And really that phrase sort of captures uh, in a small way uh, what it means for us as individuals, about being a people who are deeply rooted in him and a people who are reaching out wide, uh, in influencing others for Christ. So uh, my hope is that you'll get a sense for that as we go through this series in the month of September. Shortly after the guns fell silent in World War II, uh, Europe's cities were lying in ruins. Uh, the picture on the screen is a picture of Berlin in 1945. Before the war, Berlin was a beautiful, flourishing city. But of course, after the war, like many of the cities in Europe, uh, Berlin was devastated. You look at that picture, and you can see that there's not a building left untouched by the devastation of the war. There's rubble everywhere. Here's a, a close-up picture of one of the neighborhoods in Berlin. You can see the roof is blown off, windows are shattered. The city is in absolute destruction. This last picture is a picture of Warsaw that's been computer enhanced, uh, put together by a, a lot of pictures from, from back in that time, and someone's actually created a video of what it would like, be like to fly over uh, Warsaw. This is just one still shot of that video, and you can see the destruction that is just, it's just so pervasive in the city of Warsaw. Again, not a home left untouched, windows blown out, roofs blown off, a city full of of rubble. Now, Europe has been liberated, but now as people are coming back to their cities and they look like this one here, how, where in the world do you begin to rebuild your city? How? I mean, you look at a city like that, it's just so overwhelming. Where do you start? I mean, how do you begin to rebuild your city when it looks like that? Well, a short answer to that question would be uh, cities are rebuilt by people who can see past the destruction, who can see past the ruin, who see a future beyond the rubble, and together in community, take one stone at a time and pile it on the other one and begin putting a city back together. I want to talk to you about a guy who did that very thing. His name is Nehemiah. Grab your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter 2. Because I want to quickly look at his story and then talk about the implications for us as a church as we live in this city. Nehemiah chapter 2 uh, tells the story of how God raised up uh, this man who was a cupbearer to a king named Artaxerxes. And God used him to begin a rebuilding work in the city of Jerusalem. Now as you're finding that your way there in Nehemiah chapter 2, it's on page 769 in your pew Bibles if you didn't bring a Bible with you. Here's some context for you. 597 B.C., Jerusalem is destroyed, utterly laid to, to, to waste. Uh, we know that from 2 Kings chapter 25, that after Nebuchadnezzar and his armies of Babylon captured Jerusalem, that they just brought the city to ruins. They had a captain of the guard, his name was Nebuzaradan, and Nebuzaradan, after the city was conquered, brought his soldiers into Jerusalem and started lighting the city on fire. He started first... Uh, with, with, uh, with the temple, burned the temple down to the ground, and then went to the royal palace in Jerusalem, which was the equivalent, equivalent of, of Jerusalem's White House, and burned that palace down to the ground. And then once the temple was burned down, once the, their, their White House was burned down, then uh, the captain of the guard and the soldiers started lighting the city on fire. Homes, significant buildings, structures burned to the ground. 
And, and after the, the city has been burned to the ground, now the soldiers, the Babylonian soldiers, turn their attention to the walls of Jerusalem. The, the inside is ashes, and now what they're going to do is tear down the walls. And so through, through a space of time, every stone is pushed over from the wall. The, the, the entire surrounding of this walled city, which would have been their protection back in those days, is torn down. The city is laid in ruins. When you saw those pictures of Berlin or Warsaw, that's a snapshot of what Jerusalem would have looked like after Babylon captured and destroyed it. But some seven decades later, exiles started trickling back to Jerusalem. And what they discovered was their city in ruins. And as we pick up the story here in Nehemiah chapter 2, what's, hap- what's happening here is some of those exiles have gone back to Jerusalem and now they've come back to Babylon and Nehemiah has been asking them the question, how are things going back uh, in the city where our ancestors lived? And the news comes back and it's not good news. And Nehemiah hears about it and it's so terrible that he is distressed and so distressed that the people he, work- he works with take notice. So I'm going to begin reading in Nehemiah chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6, and then jump down to verse 11. And you're you're going to hear a story of a guy uh, who's just making his case before his king to be a rebuilder. Because he sees past the bad news. He can see past the destruction. And he wants to give his hands to the rebuilding of his city. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. Early the following spring in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. But I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it please the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked, how long will you be gone? When will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. Now jump down to verse 11, because Nehemiah is going to make the trip to Jerusalem, and he's getting there now. Uh, Verse 11. So I arrived in Jerusalem. Three days later, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals with us except the donkey I was riding. After dark... I went out through the valley gate, past the jackal's well, and over to the dung gate to inspect the broken walls and burn gates. Which, by the way, that's a bummer bummer name for a gate, isn't it? The dung gate. I like to be by the neighborhood from the jackal's well. You know, go to the jackal's well, turn right. But there's, there's reasons for those names. Verse 14. I don't know why I stopped there. Let me keep going here. Then I went to the fountain gate. There's a nice name. I went to the fountain gate, into the king's pool. But my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. So though it was still dark, I went up the Kidron Valley instead, inspecting the wall before I turned back and entered again at the valley gate. The city officials did not know I had been out there or what I was doing, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, 
or anyone else in the administration. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. This is God's holy word. Three things I want you to notice right from the very beginning here. The first thing is this. God has a plan in his heart for the city of Jerusalem. You see that in verse 12. Nehemiah says, I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart. The, the, the plans for a city, for Jerusalem, are in the heart of God. And I would add to that, that God has plans in his heart for cities. He loves cities because in the city there is people. He loves cities that where his people live, and he also loves cities where, where other people live that, that aren't, in this case, Jewish people. He has a heart for the cities. Cities like Jerusalem, cities like Babylon. When the exiles are going to Babylon, God speaks through his prophet Jeremiah and says, seek the welfare and the peace of Babylon. Plant gardens, build homes, have families. Because when Babylon increases and, and, and has peace, you too will experience peace. Remember the, the prophet Jonah who was sent to, to Nineveh and he kind of did his detour and he, and he finally gets to Nineveh and he's preaching there. The, the book of Jonah ends in a pretty fascinating way. It's, it's just kind of like this, this tension. It ends with a question that God asks his prophet. He says this, Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. Shouldn't I feel compassion for such a great city? I mean, God has, God has a plan in his heart for people. He has a plan in his heart for cities. Cities like Jerusalem, cities like Babylon, and cities like Nineveh. There are, there are plans in God's heart for a city. Second thing I want you to notice from this, this story, this quick, this quick text we read, is that the city in which God has a plan in his heart for is in utter destruction, in rubble. It's ruined. Like I told you, it was burned to the ground. The walls were pushed down. The city has been destroyed, much like Berlin or Warsaw or any, any city during, during a battle or a war. Jerusalem is in utter destruction. And when you look at that city, and, and, and you, maybe you, you believe that God has a plan in his heart for the city, you look at it, and it's so overwhelming. I mean, where do you start this, this idea of rebuilding? Where, where do you begin and isn't that, that, one of the first questions we ask is how? How in the world do you rebuild a city that's been destroyed like that? It's just so overwhelming. In fact, some of you ask that same question with your own circumstances. You think about your finances and you're asking the question how? You think about your marriage and you're asking the question how? You're thinking about your kids and you're asking the question how? How in the world is this going to be put back together again and rebuilt and restored? And while how is one of the first questions we ask, what we need to remind ourselves is, is that how is God's specialty? How is God's specialty? That we look at a situation and we hear the bad news and we think about what the future might hold for us. While we may be in shock, we need to remind ourselves, how is God's specialty? God has plans in his heart for cities. And how, how that happens is God's specialty. And the third thing I want you to notice is that when there are people who see that there is a plan in God's heart for a city and they look at the rubble of their city or the ruin in their city and they can see past it, 
When they say, God, your plan is now my plan, a city begins to be rebuilt. In fact, you'll see this in the story. It's, it's really pretty interesting. In verse 16, um, Nehemiah says, I had not yet said a thing to anyone about my plans. Interesting, isn't it? A couple of verses before, it was you know, the plans in God's heart. Now they're my plans. Like, Nehemiah thought this all up. What a smart dude. No, what, what he did was he, he heard, he discovered God's plan for the city, and he owned it. Because it was in God's heart, and despite the rubble and the ruin, he's distressed by it, but he is going to own this, this plan in, his, in God's heart and own it for himself, and now it's my plan. And Nehemiah will be used by God to help rebuild the city walls and Jerusalem will no longer be a disgrace. That city will be rebuilt. A city that looked like like, like a bomb went off in it is rebuilt. Now, I want to talk to you about our city. That's Jerusalem. I want to talk to you about our city. And I want to tell you that the leaders of Salem Alliance Church have been sneaking out at night and walking around our city and taking a look. Actually, we have been walking around our city. We have been in this process now for about two years, trying to discover, God, what is the plan that is on your heart for our city? It's really important that you go through that exercise because we don't want to manufacture a plan. We want to hear his heart for our city. And so we've been patiently, we've been patiently trying to discover God's plan for our city. And as we have been doing this work, we've stumbled upon something that is really fairly interesting, and we believe that this is something God is calling, to, calling us to as a church. In fact, so much so that we believe that we need to align ourselves to this plan that it's on God's heart, and we're saying, yes, there's a lot of questions out there about the how, but how is God's specialty? And we want to own this and say, this is my plan, this is our plan. And let me just begin on just sharing that with you with just a little history lesson about our city. Because you really have to start at the beginning of our city to understand God's heart for the people of Salem and Kaiser. The Christian Advocate and Journal wrote an article back in the 1830s telling a story of four Indians who were living in then what was called the Oregon country and who traveled on foot to Missouri. You get that? Four Indians from the Oregon country go on foot to Missouri because they want to have a conversation with somebody in Missouri. His name is General William Clark. He's the Clark, the Lewis and Clark, who, who is exploring the Pacific Northwest. He's now back in St. Louis. He's in charge of Indian affairs. And these four Indians go on foot to go have a conversation with, uh, with General William Clark. Now, if you're going to make a trek like that on foot, you've got to be pretty motivated You've got to have a, 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 a strong desire to, to make that trek. And the reason that they are walking all the way from the Oregon country to Missouri is because they have heard that the white man possesses what's called the book of heaven, and in it, it teaches you how to converse with the great spirit, and it also tells you how to be with him after you die. By the way, that story is captured right here in Salem down at the Mission Mill Museum. Here's a photo of a sign I took with my phone that tells that story. It's right downtown Salem. 
It tells a story of these four Indians going over to St. Louis and saying, we're, 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 asking, we're asking for someone to tell us about this, this book of heaven. Well, guess what? The news of those four Indians getting to St. Louis, Missouri, gets to the East Coast. And it gets circulated around the churches there. And, and the Methodist church, the Methodist church hears this story and the story of the four Indians, and, and they believe it's like this Macedonian cry. Like, you know, like that story in, in, in the book of Acts where Paul has this dream of someone coming to him and, uh, from Macedonia saying, come to us, come to us. Well, the Methodist church, just, they, they believe this is a Macedonian cry, and so they start looking for missionaries. And by the way, the second great awakening is happening on the East Coast. There's a young man by the name of Jason Lee who came to Christ in a revival meeting in 1826. And shortly after, he enrolled in a Bible institute because he felt a call to preach. The Methodist church taps him on the shoulder and says, we want you to go to the Oregon country to take the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who want to hear it. Eight years, I mean, get this, eight years after Jason Lee came to Christ, he was here in the Pacific Northwest beginning a mission to the Indians. That's a bit of the history of, of our community. And by the way, he started the mission about four miles north of Kaiser in an area adjacent to the Wheatland Ferry. And they called that area Mission Bottom, which is a really appropriate name because it was low and in the winter it flooded a lot. And so Lee moved the mission and guess where he moved it? Salem. And more specifically, he moved it four blocks south of where we are today. You walk out those doors, you go to Broadway Commons, you hang a left, go four blocks, you will see a sign on the left-hand side of the street that says, Salem started here. Four blocks south of us, there was a mission started to tell people of a God who sent his one and only son and how you can be in relationship with him right here and now today and how you can be with him when you take your last breath here on earth. And Jason Lee embraced that mission and he started that mission right here in our city. And by the way, sometime later, we don't know for sure who, who named our city Salem, but somewhere along the way, the name Salem was given to this city, which is very significant. Remember, God has a plan on his heart for cities. And he's looking for people who say, God, we hear, we see your plan and it is my plan. I believe that God in his sovereignty allowed our city to be called Salem, which comes from the, the Hebrew word shalom, which means wholeness. It means rest. It means peace. It means a place where people are in right relationship with each other and where people are in right relationship with God. I want to make sure you're capturing this because I believe your leaders believe that our city has a destiny. It is destined to be a city at peace with God, a city of shalom. But the reality is, is that destiny has been stolen. It's been stolen from us. The evil one, the enemy of the church, the enemy of cities, the enemy of, 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 of men and women, boys and girls, the enemy of our souls has done everything he could to steal God's purposes for our lives. I mean, I want you to see that city of Warsaw again. Look at the rubble. And I want to say to you, that's our city. That's our city. And you may be thinking, okay, he's getting all dramatic now. 
No, seriously, when you, when you push past all the freshly painted homes, you cross over the carefully manicured lawns, and you step through the doors into these, these homes that have roofs or apartments that have roofs on them, what you discover is this. Because on the outside, everything's really carefully taken care of. But when you get inside, when you see what's happening in our city, you see ruin, you see destruction, you see all kinds of rubble. It is a mess. And our city was intended to be a city of peace. And I want to tell you today that our city is a city of pain. And here's how that dream's been shattered. Marion County tells us that last year, 2011, there were 2,257 weddings. I did some of those weddings. They're great days. Bride comes down the aisle. Husband's face is glowing as he sees his bride. They stand on a platform, and I'm talking to them, and they're not hearing a word I'm saying (laughs) because they're all in love. But you know, in our city, half those marriages, more than half those marriages end in divorce. And in 2011, 1,290 divorces took place in our city. And they're painful. Some of you know the pain of divorce. People who looked all googly-eyed at each other on their wedding day are now looking at each other with, with hurt and pain and anger in the courtroom as they're going through divorce. And our city is in pain. Marion County also tells us that there are over 13,000, 13,129 children spent at least one day in foster care last year. I mean, you get, think about that. I mean, look, look, at, look at the face of a kid. And there are 13,129 of those kids who spent at least one night in foster care. And we have some wonderful foster parents in our city, and some of you are foster parents. But it's painful to be removed from your home. Marion County also tells us that on any given day, the average population of children in foster care is 8,718. Which means that right now, there are 8,718 children in foster care. Some of you, perhaps, were foster kids. And you know. You know the pain that can come from that. We're also told from Marion County there's 28,620 people looking for a job today. Over 28,000 people who are looking for employment. I know one guy, guy, I'll just call him uh, Roger. Roger, I I actually talked about once a week, our our paths just cross, and uh, he's been looking for a job for two years. For two years, he's been looking for a job. He's not looking for a six-figure job. He's not looking for this perfect job. He's looking for a job. And it took two years, and just two weeks ago, he got hired at a department store in town. And when you're going through that, what's happening to your psyche is you're wondering, after interview, after interview, after rejection, after rejection, is, am I worth anything? Is there something wrong with me? And that's the pain that people go through when they're unemployed. They ask themselves a lot of questions. And our city is in pain. Here's another thing that's happening in our city. 3,746 violent crimes committed in our city last year. A violent crime is murder, robbery, rape, or aggravated assault. 
Which means, I mean, put the picture in your head, that's a, a, a corner grocery store clerk with his hands or her hands in the air as a gun is being pointed at them. That's a woman going through a walk in the woods, enjoying a day, and then being assaulted. That's a family at, at bed at night in their home, and their home being broken into, and potentially a murder. That happened 3,746 times in our city last year. And the impact that has on a family is hard to even understand the trauma of that. And our city is not at peace, it's in pain. Here's another thing that's happening in our city. Over 500 homes in our county are in some sort of uh, pre-foreclosure or foreclosure sale. Which means, and by the way, there are a lot of reasons why houses go into foreclosure. But for many of those people, they're the 28,620 that were making their house payment every month. And then the recession hit and they lost their job and they, they're having to cut back and, and they missed some bills and they missed some house payments. Before long, they're having to pack up their house and move out and that's painful. And there are 44,000 plus people in our city that are living in poverty. Which means that when gas prices go up a couple cents, they're having to make a decision between putting gas in their car to go to work or put food in their cupboard. Their kids went to school last week for the first time, not with new shoes and new clothes. They walk into their closets and they, don't, and they don't have all kinds of clothes to choose from. They're living in poverty. But the single greatest pain in our county, in our city today, is that over 286,000 people do not know Jesus Christ. Which means that when they lose their job, they don't know Jehovah Jireh, God their provider. When their marriage is in trouble and the husband or the wife hurts, one, uh, hurts their spouse, they don't know about the beauty of forgiveness that's modeled by Jesus Christ. They don't know about a God who believes in them and is longing for them to believe in him. They don't know about the hope that exists in Jesus Christ. They don't know any of that. And when they take their last breath here on earth and take their first breath in eternity, they will not spend it with the Prince of Peace. And our city is in pain. And remember, God has a plan in his heart for cities. Cities like Jerusalem, Babylon, Nineveh. And our city was started in some real interesting ways. Four Indians walking away saying, we want to know about this God. It's a missionary city. And God has a destiny for our city, a city at peace with him, a city with people at peace with one another. And that destiny has been robbed, and I believe God is looking for people who will say, enough. Who can see past the ruin and see past the rubble, because when you look at those, those stats up there, it's like, oh, what, what, what can I do? Look, you don't have to fix the whole city. But together what we can do is take one stone at a time, and rebuild our city. One stone at a time. And rebuild the city. Here's what I want you to hear today. Your leaders have been walking around this city. We feel like we have discovered God's plan, God's heart for our city. And we are rebuilders. And we believe the destination God has for us as a church is that we will put our hands to those things that will rebuild the city because we believe that this city is intended to be a city at peace with God. Shalom, wholeness, rest. Imagine a city 
where a husband loves his wife and a wife loves her husband, where kids grow up in, in a house where they love the, the security of, of mom and dad who love each other. Imagine a city where, where there's employment. I mean, imagine a city where the largest percentage of its inhabitants are in right relationship with God. How does that happen? It happens by people who say, that's my plan. And it's larger than us. By the way, if the the largest percentage of Marion County were to be Christ followers, that would be a miracle. That would take an awakening. But we believe that God's heart for our city is that our city would be at peace with him. That we would experience true shalom. And you're going to be hearing more about that this month of the implications for us. But here's the deal today. Here's how you can practically say to God, God, I want to be a part of this. You can begin just by simply praying for the peace of our city. Your first response can be simply this. Lord, I just want to, I want to bless Salem. I want to bless Kaiser. I want to bless Sublimity, wherever you live. Bless this valley with the peace of Christ. And I pray that our city would be at peace with you. You can start with prayer. And the second thing I would challenge us to do is just be aware. And through the eyes of the Spirit, just walk through your neighborhood, walk down your road, walk around your apartment complex, walk through your workplace, and just notice the rubble. Because it's there. It's not confined to some certain neighborhood. It's everywhere. But notice it in your neighborhood. Notice it in your workplace. And let that prompt you to prayer. And just start there. Start praying for the peace of our city. Because we believe that God has a destiny for us. He has a a plan in his heart for our city because he loves people. And he's looking for people to say, my plan. Yes, there's lots of rubble, but we see a future past the rubble. And we want to bless the city with the peace of Christ.